Chapter 6 Let's face it, we're all in a fog. A few days of sunshine here and there, but the rest of our lives we spend in a fog. How can someone's newly discovered happiness become a source of such pain to someone else? How can two people live together for 27 years and feel that they have not yet said everything to one another? The man's pain was so real it reminded me of my own. But me? I'm different. Really. I can't even express my feelings. I'm a master at hiding my pain. I've hidden it for 10 years now. It's so old that I could drink it like fine wine. The few photographs she had sent me were from our old days. It's funny calling them old days. It's such a lie. Those days have never grown old for me. They're as fresh and as vivid and as haunting as ever. Maybe it was the same for her. Maybe not. I don't even know if I like those photographs anymore. I've looked at them hundreds of times, over and over again. They no longer make any sense to me. With her, I never knew what I liked or what I didn't like. I never had time to think about liking anything. Time stopped mattering. No past, no future, not even a present. We lived together for moments or even milliseconds. There were those tiny bits of frozen time when suddenly everything starts making sense. When life gets under your skin, when you love so much you feel both the pain and the divinity of it. It was perfection. It was a true gift from God. I loved her too much. Not enough. Or maybe because it was never enough. I missed her. I missed all the words that I didn't hear for all these years. I missed all the looks. I missed all the touches and stroking that I didn't get all these years. I missed the trembling of my heart, the dryness of my throat, and my shortage of breath. I missed the sparkle in her eyes, her swollen wet lips, her silky skin covering me in warmth. God, why am I so afraid of this journey? Why does she want to see me so suddenly? Every time I looked at those photographs, it seemed to me that she had succeeded in freezing time, in my mind at least. They were engulfing me into her time vacuum. What an odd choice for a rendezvous. Meeting again at Martha's Inn? With her, everything had to be different and unique. No one could figure us out. We couldn't figure ourselves out. Anything that seemed odd to other people seemed natural and just great to us. For example, we went back to the same places where we'd made love before. To stare into each other's eyes, making love again, this time with our eyes. In those moments, I could feel my heart in my throat and my blood pumping in my neck. In those moments, I tasted the sweetness of life on my tongue. But all that honey came afterwards. The first time we ran into each other was nothing more than the lonely, gorgeous nymph eyes burning my neck. Hey, you still want to hear about this? You imbeciles calling yourselves angels, ghosts, or spirits? Kingdom of Heaven University attendees? Yeah, okay, you're silent again. I hope I didn't put you to sleep with my relentless love talk. Give me a sign that you're with me, that you're listening to me. Suddenly, I sneezed. For Christ's sake, I said, give me a sign, not your germs. Chapter 7 Where was I? Ladies and gentlemen, I have to admit that I'm a preposterous hypocrite on many occasions, especially when it comes to my memory zone. Just when I pretended that I had to supposedly refresh my memory, 
The deep unconditional and the cast iron truth was that I have not forgotten even one molecule of my encounter with her. As a matter of fact, I tried hard for years to forget her, to erase her from my memory, to wash her tentacles off my skin, but I failed miserably. It was a grandiose failure. Look at me now, ten years later, driving cautiously through the fog on this road in southern glades, confessing my love to an emptiness filled only with a no-good bunch of journalistic ghosts from the Holy Ghost News Service. How pathetic was that? The night I met her was preceded by one of those uneventful days when the dominant driving forces were the dullness of life and the numbness of emotions. The kind of day when you have to drop off the dry cleaning, watch the stock market plunge to hell, shout at the mobile phone billing operator, and try to escape the onslaught of TV news shows with all their breaking news about some essential celebrity rubbish, such as Paris Hilton changing the color of her pubic hair. The radio, too, and the podcasts, all of them in unison, vomiting up silly, shiny pieces of spectacular garbage, creating an unbearable cacophony. Society and the government are diligently working together to achieve what they think they're supposed to do. Stupefy us, dumb down our kids, reduce life to a spreadsheet, and eventually enslave us. My way of resisting international bankers and all the ruling socialist elitists was to go to a decrepit bar in Brooklyn that had no name. The regulars called it The Hole. That was not written anywhere in the place. There weren't any fancy cocktail napkins. The name was passed along in the medieval oral tradition. It was like some men called their wife my old lady, but wouldn't dare put it down in black and white. The hole was irresistible because it was so austere. Its godforsaken atmosphere accurately reflected my state of mind in those days. That particular day when I first laid eyes on her was pretty much forgettable. I'd been wasting the oxygen supply of planet Earth by simply breathing. I could just as well spend the entire day on a respiratory ventilator, one of those intensive care patients who's brain dead. As I was parking my car in the lot behind the hole, I thought to myself, I guess this was another stupendously unnecessary day in my life. I wasn't sad or feeling anything remotely like gloom. I'm not supposed to feel or understand anything anyway, no? Given the way our society functions, who can? If you think you do, and you're a fool. Little did I know that my entire life was going to change that very day. I had no idea. Not one goddamn clue. Chapter 8 That evening, like most of the time in my life, my intuition or my instinct or whatever that Nostradamus' device is called was completely turned off. Just thinking about what happened next gives me goosebumps all over. Her eyes are still burning my neck, even now, ten years later. I walked into the hole and took my preferred seat at the bar with my back to all the tables and booths so I wouldn't have to see anyone. I ordered a holy grail, their special martini that went straight to the brain. It arrived soon thereafter and I lifted the conical glass, ready to take the first welcome sip, exhaling my last in-the-moment breath of air, as my shrink friend calls it. See, numbing myself with alcohol had proved very beneficial for me. Up to then, the technique had worked, preventing me from killing myself, or that matter, killing someone else. As Herman Hess wrote, a 
It gave me a chance to maybe bother myself with living. Just so you know, the Holy Grail is a local mix that has an international array of ingredients delivering every kind of bitter taste that Mother Nature has created. One sip of a Holy Grail is equal to a 15-year stretch in a Chinese communist prison camp. I've seen people taste the Holy Grail, walk out of the bar and divorce their wives. Divorcing their wives seemed easier than finishing up that horrible cocktail. To me, sipping a Holy Grail was an act of piety, theologically overpowering. One swallow was precision bombing into the depths of my soul, killing every single molecule of any emotion. You could say that I was like a vacant lot by the end of the night. Park anything you wanted in there. I wouldn't feel a thing. I took the first sip. In the beginning, it went down as usual and it did what it was supposed to do, which was mainly provoke a lot of regrets. What you should know is that I'm a highly trained specialist in regret. It's my hobby. Apart from looking after my sick mother once in a while, I regret almost everything all the time, including this very moment on my drive thinking back to the night at the hole. Their holy grail worked in a very Catholic way, I thought. Sin and guilt mixed together warmed up my tongue, went down my throat like a meteor crashing on the moon, made me cough up the healthy spit of my last hopes. There was something else this time other than the olives and cherries I chewed on. My neck started to feel warmer. Suddenly it was burning hot. At first I thought it was a naughty trick that a guileful martini like the Holy Grail could play on you. But as the moments passed by, my neck started to burn even more. I tried massaging it away with my hand. I even asked the bartender for a cold towel. Nothing helped. On the contrary, I started to sweat profusely. My neck was on fire. Then I turned around, looked over my shoulder and into the crowd of patrons. I didn't see her at first. It was smoky in the hole, full of sex-starved people moving their scantily clad bodies. Through the people on the floor, I caught sight of her eyes staring at me, penetrating me. I stopped breathing for a moment. Mesmerized by her intensity, I dared to hold on to her gaze. Hers were no ordinary eyes. They were two fireballs burning me up, exploding everything inside. I felt as if I had been struck by lightning. Couldn't swallow. There's no more saliva in my mouth, just a shriveled up useless tongue. The metronome inside my heart was hitting allegro and crescendo at the same time. I've been shaken up pretty bad. I've seen a lot of incredible stuff in my life. Never before had I felt so excited and scared at the exact same moment. I blinked to make sure my eyes were functioning. What came into view was the most beautiful creature I'd ever laid my eyes upon. She was so divinely gorgeous with such a beautiful aura that I was ready to forgive everyone everything. The pain in my liver went away. So did my stomach cramps. My bottom of my back no longer ached from sitting behind a desk for hours on end in a law office. That first glimpse of her made the arthritis in my joints evaporate that the dew on a rose. I was spellbound. She jolted me down right to my core. I tried to smile back at her, but my face was out of my control, molding itself into a caricature of myself. 
my eyes froze. Her stare was fierce and cold as ice. She didn't blink, not once. She was looking through my ridiculous external shell gazing inside of me. Her face was unafraid, impolite, intense, and completely unapologetic. Chapter 9 I didn't believe it. She was actually looking at me? You mean you're interested in me? But you're a Venus-like goddess straight out of a Botticelli painting. That gorgeous nymph with mind-numbing beauty and candor was really looking at me? With eyes that you could die for? Couldn't be true. She was interested in me? I was too petrified with shock and wonder to comprehend what was going on. I smiled and turned away, thinking she must have looked my way by mistake. Then slowly I turned back around and glanced toward her again, as if by accident. There she was, staring at me the same way. Now her gaze was even more intense than before. She wasn't just studying me, she was inviting me to join her. That look was like a confession in a strip show wrapped into one. It was shockingly bare of pretense. What was I to do? Come on, beauty like her couldn't be on her own in a place like the hole. She was. She was sitting at the table by herself. No one joined her as she sipped her own holy grail and continued to look straight into my eyes. Her eyes said things more sincere and guileless than any words anyone had ever uttered in my ear. I couldn't claim to be any Casanova and wouldn't be any 10,000-page accounts of my triumphs with women, but I'd had my fair share of conquests. One might even call it an excessive catalog of women who I'd encountered in the lost and found section of life. That's probably because I myself was a long-term wanderer in that department. The usual suspects were always freshly divorced, widowed, abused in childhood, depressed, confused, or recovering addicts. Or they had simply lost their way in life. In short, they all had one thing in common. They were all disturbed women who needed a man who would listen to them, and caress their hair, and all the rest of that stuff. When I say me, I don't mean me in an egotistical way. I mean I was simply all the above in one person. Divorced from reality, widowed from my work, struggling with my own addictions, abused by the system, confused about everything. Usually we'd end up having sex a short while later after getting to know each other a bit more. We would have a very warm, passionate, yet sad departing night. And then we would move on with our lives since we were becoming a couple that was twice divorced, twice widowed, twice confused, ad nauseum. Who wants that situation? No one does. I like that arrangement. Wet lips, dry lips, big tits, small tits, big squishy asses, small tight asses. You name it. I'd seen it all. I was sort of a social worker, lover, medicine man, ass grabber. Soon I got tired of my unholy ladies' man role and switched to imbibing alcohol. It was much more fun. Being a Westerner, a human rights lawyer, and going on assignments in Eastern Europe didn't help. How do you cope with so many beauties having such hard lives on top of such deeply broken down societies? You either kill yourself or you drink and have sex. Because there's nothing else you can do. You can't change a damn thing. If you think you can, you're a fool anyway. 
By then, I'd firmly intellectualized my heart, covered it with plaster, and placed it on display inside the museum with my body right above my liver. It was there, working away, pumping blood, and I never felt its beating. To be honest, me and my heart had formed a very cozy, peaceful coexistence. It would take care of functioning at its own regular rhythm, and I wouldn't bother it with unnecessary emotional upheavals. That was in the past. Now exactly at that moment inside the hole, as this goddess was turning my insides out and upside down, my heart was throbbing like a holy roller on crack. It was pissed off, angry as hell, and terrified too. I'd never betrayed it like this before. I'd always honored my end of the contract. I'd always taken good care of it protecting it by walking away from relationships that might become complicated. I turned off the TV when orphans from some godforsaken shithole of a country were emaciated and asking for food. And my precious heart always rewarded me with the peace of mind that my tired body was yearning for. Me and my heart had this wonderful, mutually respectful, beneficial exchange of brotherly love. Except that calculated, society-educated, and society-nurtured relationship with my own heart turned me into a selfish bastard. Everything was getting mixed up inside me. I was slowly evolving into a model citizen. That's the last thing you want to become. Because if you do, it meant that you had accepted this immoral, idiotic, greed-based, sex-obsessed, materialistic society, the structure that we were all forced to participate in. Model citizen meant that your enslavement process had been successfully completed that you transitioned into a product consumer. Then they would chip away at you and dispose of your being at the appropriate time. Well, not me. Not yet, goddammit. As long as I was in the hole drinking martinis named after a biblical artifact, I was still free. I was a true outlaw, a revolutionary. I was my own man. Plus, that particular today was different. Finally, I had good news for myself. Today, for some mysterious reason, my Nostradamus' device was switched on. The Holy Grail was working perfectly. As I drank one and then a second, they were telling me that my heart wasn't supposed to feel comfortable. It was supposed to feel emotion, for Christ's sake. I heard it saying clearly, Don't be afraid, my son. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary are with you. What else do you want? Not one, but three gods are with you. Break away. Break away from your comfortable contract with yourself. It's fake and disingenuous. I stared back at her, directly into the depths of her eyes. It was like someone had tied a 10-ton stone to my neck, handcuffed my wrist, duct taped my mouth, and pushed me into the deepest part of the ocean. I was drowning, ladies and gentlemen. Drowning in her world. I wanted to cry out adieu to my peaceful days, but my heart, now implacable, was banging against my chest from the inside. My blood rushed along its passages like a hundred feet high wave crashing against the beach of all my previous knowledge of life, women, and of myself. What the hell was going on here? Who was I? What did I mean, who was I? Never asked that question myself. Just by staring at me, this woman made me question my very being. She was a terrorist, a suicide bomber. How could a look do that to me? God, 
You still around? My Nostradamus' device was about to switch off again. With one last desperate effort, my heart begged me to turn it off and archive it in the museum again. No more resisting her. Give in, goddammit. Live your goddamn life. Go and love that woman. My knees were already moving and my feet were tracking toward her. It was too late for any more misgivings. First I circled her table. She watched me passively. Then carefully and cautiously I took a seat next to her. I said hello, attempted to greet her confidently. But for some reason no audible sound came out of my mouth, only hot air. I heard my voice from inside, but she didn't answer me or even look at me. She simply looked past me into the smoke-filled bar. Abruptly, she stood up, picked up her purse, and walked away from the table. I was in shock. I tried saying, what the hell? My lips still made no sound. I was flabbergasted. I was furious. This woman was over the top. This goddamn pathetic woman had been staring at me nonstop for maybe half an hour, teasing me, inviting me, seducing me. She'd made me break my contract with my own heart. She'd made me question my entire existence. And now she'd ditch me in a heartbeat? Thank God you walked away, woman, I said loudly to no one in particular. But I liked the sound of my voice. I was back. I let out a sigh of relief. She had disappeared into the crowd. I went back to the chair at the bar on shaky knees. Another holy grail, please, I said to the bartender. I really liked my voice sounding confident again. I almost lost you, I thought to myself. I was about to start apologizing to my heart when suddenly I spotted her standing in the far corner of the club, right next to the back door. But now her stunning lips were shaped into a Mona Lisa smile. There she was, seemingly waiting for me, offering me all the treasures of her beauty with her eyes. To say that I was confused is an understatement. I was so bewildered it felt like I would lost my mind. I looked around the room desperately seeking an ordinary face in the crowd, someone with whom I could strike up a superficial conversation full of inconsequential mindless crap. My eyes searched in vain and then I glanced back at her. Sheepishly, I looked into her eyes one last time before she opened the door, stepped outside, and took my free will with her. I threw some cash on the bar counter and followed her out.